0: Welcome to the Game Changers NFT podcast, a show that highlights incredible women who are changing the game. I'm your host, Yin Hin. The Game Changers is a unique web 3.0 project with the purpose of providing access to capital for women entrepreneurs, leveraging the power of NFTs. We are creating a dynamic virtuous cycle, art by women, featuring inspiring role models, generating revenue to fund women-led ventures and funds. Each episode, we sit down with a game changer that makes part of our collection. And every conversation is packed with personal stories, discoveries, and lessons learned within the blockchain and beyond. For more information, you can visit GameChangeNFT.com to learn more. Please enjoy.
1: My name is Erica Wigsneed and I'm a game changer.
0: In this episode, we sit down with a rock star, Erica Wigsneed Chief Marketing Officer of Adidas Originals Collaborations and Basketball, and Head of Adidas Web3 Studio. Erica became CMO for Adidas Originals, Partnerships, and Basketball following a career among gaming, sports, automotive, tech, and advertising. I loved getting to know all of her amazing roles at these exciting companies, but with a common theme to connect commerce to culture through human stories and experiences. It was Erica's passion for emerging culture that inspired her to establish the One Adidas initiative into the metaverse, with a focus on the intersection of sport inspired Tableau spanning Web3 spaces, experiences, and collectibles like NFTs. She says, organizations don't exist. People bound by ideas do. It's our originality that unites us to our identity, passions, causes, each other, and brands. Amazing. Please enjoy this powerful conversation and listen to Adidas's voyage into the metaverse with the incredible Erica Wicksneed. Hi Erica, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. So greetings from California. If you could share with our listeners, where are you interviewing from?
1: I am sitting in Central Eastern Time in a town close to the headquarters of Adidas called Herzogenaurach in Germany. Amazing.
0: And I know you spent a lot of time in California. So I cannot wait to share with our listeners how you got to Germany. So the listeners would have heard a bit about your background in the intro. But let's rewind that long highlight reel all the way back and first share and start with where you grew up. Yeah, I
1: am a child of the 80s born in Palm Springs, California, and have been raised mostly in Orange County, California, in a small rural town called Linda. and really spent most of my life in California. I have, gosh, lived in nearly every single beach city, working my way up the coastline. So Newport Beach, Huntington Beach, Long Beach, (laughs) Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach, I jumped to LA. And then I've done a couple stints in San Francisco for different companies, came back to Venice Beach, back up to San Francisco. And around the time the pandemic had hit, I was ready for a pretty big change. I was really ready for. I would say like a transcendent moment. I had just had a baby. I had a newish marriage. I was ready for the next big move after my time in Silicon Valley and technology. And we were up to move to Germany
0: and just try something completely different. Amazing. So I would love to unpack that and your experience there. And now you're leading the marketing business there. But just to kind of frame it a little bit in terms of your professional journey, You've had roles starting at Rock and Republic, Saatchi & Saatchi, Sony, Google, Uber, PayPal. If you could share a little bit more about your interest in marketing, how that started, how you first got that role at Roland Sand Designs, how did that start and really set you off on this marketing journey that you're on? Yeah,
1: I think that marketing as like a career path has kind of been maybe a bit of the through line across everything I've done. I had a business education. I have a father who's a professor of organizational leadership. He used to teach the PhD program with Peter F. Drucker, who's known as the godfather of management principles. So dinner tables at my house were talking about businesses, (laughs) talking about companies and case studies. And I've just been around a parent figure who has taken a fascination with organizations and enterprises and For me, I'm fascinated by people and I have a mother who had worked in the church and she's just very much a people person and I have adopted those behaviors from her. And so I think that marketing has allowed me as a career to go deep into what makes humans human and what connects us to ideas, to stories, our passions, our interests, the causes we care about. Then my gift has been in being able to connect commerce to culture through human story, human experience. And marketing as a function has been evolving and changing. And so if you look at my career path, it hasn't always been in the marketing department doing marketing-ish type work. I've been in business development, establishing new go-to-market strategies. I've been in product marketing, designing new products well before the marketplace is really thoroughly designed. I've been in advertising and storytelling and content marketing, defining really what's the... Narrative you're going to place around something in the platform when you want to bring it to life and connect it to emotion. So, I've sat in different stages, different functions in an organization and seen how it all works. But at the end of the day, it's really that sweet spot I find myself in, which is commerce connection to community through culture. That's why I've been in pretty lifestyle driven brands or helped bring that gift to help brands or businesses become connected to culture. Uber, gaming, automotive, action sports. So I've always joke, I kind of have had this cool career. My father's <laughs> always asking me to come and talk to his class. He calls it my unconventional career because I'm the one who's in action sports and getting paid to go to the X Games. And then part <laughs> of my job is getting to go to the Billboard Music Awards. And they don't totally grasp it, but that's also something else. I like to have a good time. And so I've been lucky enough to work in industries where I get to snowboard and travel and
0: be in media and entertainment. And that's also been important to me too. I love it. Well, it's interesting. So you described all the companies you worked at and all the different industries and sectors. But the common theme is that you connect commerce to culture and really focusing on that connection, which I absolutely love. So you play part anthropologist, sociologist, psychologist, marketer, biz dev, strategist, all those things, which is so interesting. So going back to college and what you studied, this is your social education, which is so fantastic. And I love this other interview you did where you mentioned what you do is really focus on passion areas, people that are really consumed by a certain vertical or interest. And so if you maybe could share one or two stories in your prior shops before we really focus on your role there at Adidas. But specifically, one part that I loved is you joined Uber right when they started doing the hashtag delete Uber campaign, which as a marketer is both a blessing and a curse because you're given this brand that's already dominant, but also struggling. So if you could share a little bit, not necessarily about Uber, but the construct of that as you think about that with strategy. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, that was
1: one of the most exhausting interviews I'd ever had. I think Uber at the time was the fastest growing and had raised the most money of any business in the history of time ever. And I was interviewing for the individual who is the leader of the business development team. So incredibly high performing individuals, incredibly ruthlessly focused on growth. Not necessarily at all costs, but growth was what they were ruthlessly focused on. And so I was given my offer the day Delete Uber started to go viral, which to me was like, oh, <laughs> lordy, this is career suicide.
0: Congratulations. <laughs> right?
1: And I really did take a pause and had to think about it for a long time. But this is another thing. I was an early adopter of the product and pressing a button to get a ride. Solves a lot of problems. And it was incredibly helpful living in San Francisco when you cannot get a safe ride at night and you're looking to find convenience or in the age of convenience. There's nothing more simple than being able to stay in the party, the conversation, the location, until you have a ride waiting outside for you and you can just sweep off, make your French exit and ghost off into your next move. And I loved the product. It wasn't until I got inside that I also learned I loved the people and the people behind the brand. They were solving a really big problem. And it was a problem of pressing a button to get something that could have worked for a lot of different use cases, a lot of different industry sectors. And so I saw the big opportunity for this brand and I enjoyed my time using the product because I, I'm a people person. And so what an amazing, fascinating focus group to sit in the back of a car and have a conversation with a stranger that you would never have collided paths with if Uber didn't exist. Some of my most fascinating conversations have been in the back of an Uber talking to someone who's been an immigrant to the country, someone who's a working mom. And this is her side hustle because she's starting her front hustle, her new business on the side. I left so many Uber rides incredibly inspired. And so I thought to myself, like, this is a... Opportunity to take such an awesome game changing platform and give it a heart and give it soul and breathe fresh life into it. And at the same time, I'm not afraid of a big challenge. And I found that in the process of meeting the folks at Uber, they also were just as passionate and mission driven and focused as I was. They just maybe had the wrong main KPI, main established goal. And I think when I walked in the office, it was that their mission was to make rideshare as ubiquitous as running water. And okay, that's like turning on a faucet, but the quality of that water and how it comes out and your ability to customize it and control it and have safety features around it, if it never turned, you know what I mean? Like you can play off that metaphor and see what went wrong. And so it was a time I was able to come in and go deep, deep, deep into the soul and the essence of the brand and help reestablish a new mission statement, new values, new principles and practice. Really got to go deep with ethnography, research, understanding what are the motivations for people that are taking the rides, that are driving, and deeply understand the fabric that's changing culture when you have a rideshare company that's basically creating the share economy at the same time. And so that experience has been fundamental in helping shift my mindset, helping me understand the huge macro economic and macro landscape shifts that have been happening under our feet that I think Uber was the catalyst for on a very global scale and also helping to accelerate the tech adoption curve, which now I'm looking at the eyes of Web3 and I'm seeing like, oh, this is making sense. Like, it's not a surprise to me. We're now moving from the shared economy to an owned economy, a co-owned economy, and that's the next move, which I would not have been able to make those connection points without that time at Uber and going as deep as I was able to within the brand.
0: Amazing. I feel like there's a whole separate podcast series just on your career at each of the places you went to because each one is such a brand and that's a large extension to your work and how amazing and successful you were there. So whether it was at Uber or prior to that, Google or Sony and PlayStation and all the other ones before... But then also fast forward to a few things you mentioned in terms of why you are where you are now and looking at macro shifts, looking at the economic conditions and really focused on your work there at Adidas, which I think I'm saying it wrong. So please correct me because you say it so much more beautifully. But if you could share with listeners, what excited you about this role? You joined after COVID started. So January of 2021, what excited you about running the marketing business there at Adidas? Yeah, I've always said Adidas because... From the West Coast, California. That's me. <laughs> but the
1: brand is really the nickname of the founder, who is Adi, Adi Dossler. And so Adi is how to pronounce it if you want to pay homage back to the original pioneer and founder story and entrepreneur behind the brand. So Adi and I, we don't have a rich personal history. I never played football or American soccer which I think they're famously known for. I didn't necessarily grow up as a skateboarding kid. I didn't necessarily play... What was it? Like connect with... Run DMC was a little bit before my time. I got into hip hop and music a bit later after that moment had kind of come and gone. But absolutely, its impact on culture still remains an impact on me. I mean, I love Snoop Dogg. (laughs) But the connection point to me Getting excited about the opportunity was the role that a culture led brand can play at a moment in time when creativity has been so starved, innovation has been kind of just taken back because we've been closed up in a pandemic, asked to stay in our homes and be indoors. At the same time, maintain a level of humanity and connect through new technologies. I was Witnessing my own experience with the pandemic, and also just kind of the anticipation that a brand like Adidas, who has had such an impact on culture by elevating up and coming creators, they're mostly often unknown, not always going with the champion that's always on the podium. They're the brand that kind of stands up for the ones that are emergent and haven't yet made it to their full potential yet. That's pretty exciting when brands are willing to not just go for the ones and do the logo slap because they've made it. The brands that are there cultivating culture, cultivating what's next. That really was what I saw was the opportunity with a brand like Adidas. And once I started to really understand how this pandemic was really going to become a catalyst for people's... Perpetual renaissance of creativity that's happening next, and this richness of people wanting to connect through creativity, and that this was gonna unlock something big. To me, it was exciting to be the boss and go from working for brands and working in marketing departments or business development departments and actually being at the forefront to help take a brand who has such momentum and such amazing heritage and history and help use that. To push new values, new ideals into culture for creators,
0: performers
1: that are at the edge of greatness. And that's what I saw. And that's what I get to do every day now.
0: I love it. For the listeners who are listening and thinking and knowing that your background is so inspiring and really powerful and really quite successful, mostly in marketing, branding, biz dev, strategy and then you now incorporate Web3. For those who have no idea what Web3 is and all the buzzwords, how do you describe that very simply, if you can?
1: Web3 is a new internet that's being built. And Web3 is going to sit on blockchain technology, which means it's transparent. And those that participate on it will actually get to co-own a piece, own a piece of whatever sits on that blockchain, because it'll be enshrined in some sort of code. So whatever gets published, created, built on a blockchain will forever be connected to the builder, where the creator and individuals that built it will always get credit for it. And it will have this permanent history and permanent record of things that happened on it. So it really gives credit back to the creator and those that are the fearless pioneers that want to jump into this new space and imagine what's possible. Imagine what the world could be next. It's going to evolve. It's going to go through different iterations today. I think what's helped make it more accessible and understood is this technology called NFTs, which is short for non fungible tokens, which basically is anything that you can put on a blockchain. And I feel it's been somewhat popularized because today the NFTs, the way we can understand it is it somewhat looks like a piece of artwork as a profile picture. That's what's mostly taken off right now, but. It's going to evolve and the trends of it is going to change and evolve over time. We're going to be talking about avatars and we're going to go into virtual worlds next. And the lines between our physical world and digital world and virtual world are going to start blurring. We're going to have much more elevated and amplified augmented reality experiences. Virtual reality is going to get better as gaming worlds become even easier for people to manipulate human storytellings in virtual is going to get even more emotional. Avatars in storytelling are going to make us cry and feel emotions you probably only feel maybe once a year or once every five years if it's a really well-built and constructed film with an incredible actor or a human scene that you're living in because it's real life. Like It's really going to feel real and transcend our everyday life. And that's what gets me excited about what's to come, but also I think makes me believe we have huge responsibility and using it in a right way and stewarding it and shepherding how it comes to life. So it's also important on emergent technologies like this that we also come with great responsibility and a code of ethics and a value system and stay connected to the community and collaborative. Because, again, going back, I think this is a big moment where Web3 can unlock a lot of human potential that we haven't been able to tap into yet. And we've got some big problems to solve,
0: so we can use all that potential. And you have the brand to do it. So I'm looking forward to tracking your success there. Going back to your strategy, how will Adidas marry the new the internet? And what are your goals there from a branding perspective to do this in Web3?
1: We've pioneered a partnership and we were the first and only brand to launch a commercial NFT project with three established and Progressive Pioneers in the Space last December. So when we started that journey, we actually started the journey around the time that Elon Musk had tweeted saying that Tesla was going to be accepting cryptocurrency for car purchases. And that email somehow made its way around the company. And I think it had like 55 people piling on. And at this time, it was a whole bunch of folks across the company, SVPs, VPs, Managers, associates in the business. It was probably 40 days into my working at Herzog and NARA at headquarters. What I could tell is there were a lot of passionate questions. There was a lot of interest and it was positioned in a way that was just curious. And that to me is a big opportunity at an organization. I saw, okay, this is slipstream to pick this up and galvanize. What could be a way to help me better learn the organization, identify the types of talent and thinking we have in this place because I'm trying to navigate it. I'm trying to learn what we have while at the same time, help this brand establish a point of view on it and a point of view that can take this brand's values, which I intrinsically also connect to wanting to evolve sustainability, environmentalism, putting that into popular culture wanting to increase diversity, equity, and inclusion, wanting to do it in a way that doesn't make me sacrifice my style, my look, my passions, and things that get me excited around life and culture for also pushing those values into the forefront of pop culture. And so we started a journey. I wrote a brief. We started a journey. I think there were about 21 of us that came together and built this cross-functional task force. And by the time we popped out and went to market, you'll see what we launched was called Adidas into the Metaverse. And We have built an ecosystem with some of the key players in the space. Coinbase is our enterprise wallet partner. We have a relationship where we have virtual land and sandbox. We have a relationship with Eight Yacht Club. And now Adidas Ventures has actually done a partnership with Yuga Labs. We have a relationship with G-Money, who's a thought leader, educator in the space, helping to make it safe, accessible, fun. Then finally, the Punks Comics who are part of Pixel Vault, who have rightfully earned the moniker, the Marvel of the Metaverse. And they are their own really powerful IP house, building interesting stories and characters they're bringing to life. So we collaborated with them. We purchased a board Ape. So we aped in the Board (laughs) Ape Yacht Club and acquired Indigo Hertz, who is our own ape with blue fur, like the Adidas blue that is synonymous with our shoeboxes. And Indigo is an individual that's a rebellious optimist who sees the world through heart-shaped sunglasses. So their personas is bringing the Adidas or spirit and values into Web3 and really acts as our champion for the space. And 30,000 NFTs were sold in maybe an hour and generated some revenue for us so we can continue working in the space as well as for the partners that we had partnered with. Just this week, actually, The holders of the NFT token, I think they're sitting in over 21,000 unique wallets, which made us also proud because it's a pretty diverse and distributed NFT drop, because we thought a lot about how to price it, how to make sure people could access it, how to remove barriers to entry. But this week, if you hold that token, you can jump to our website and forge it. You could basically burn that token for... The Phase Two token that we've just announced, as well as redeeming your exclusive merchandise for being on this journey with us early, and that's going to give you exclusive access to the co-branded collaboration with those partners. So it's an orange beanie that is a wink and a nod to G Money, who made Crypto Punks quite famous, and his Crypto Punk character wears an orange beanie. And then it's a hoodie with a hash on it. For those who know how to use blockchain, you can go find the secret message. I think it's been found. And then a gorgeous solar yellow Firebird tracksuit that is a jacket and pant. And we are making the supply run custom. So we're trying to also minimize as much of the environmental impact as possible. That's just getting started. We have things we haven't announced that we're working on that I'm really excited to share. I'm just so excited for what's to come because we are building this from the ground up. Some other brands including our friends in Portland have acquired a startup, Artifact, who are also incredible pioneers. Artifact is acquired by Nike. They are also pioneering really interesting drops. We're watching them. We're a lot of respect for what that team is doing. Really excited to see what other brands are going to jump in, what brands are going to be doing next. We've purposely been very open source and have probably overshared in a way that's not very capitalistic. Because you keep your trade secrets, right? You don't tell people your playbook. We've purposely wanted to share, and have been taking a lot of meetings with organizations to help scale disinformation and educate others how to get into the space. What was our steps? What did we learn? Where did we mess up? And so there will be more to come. We're building some more big ambitious ideas and setting up a dedicated team is going to be really full time across the world, focused on this space and. I'll give you a hint that that's all been underway for the last 15 months. So it feels crazy because much like my time at Uber, this web three approach was a side hustle. Everyone that worked on the task force, it was not their job. It was a side hustle. And now it's become the front hustle. And it's been a lot of fun to grow an organization, a strategy from the ground up, truly inspired by an Elon Musk tweet. So thanks, Elon. (laughs)
0: Incredible. Well, you had mentioned how short of a time period you've been there and yet how transformative it had already has been with your presence and your leadership to introduce this new age of originality, as you call it at Adidas. So really, really impressive. For those who are listening to this and hearing you speak so fluently about the space and looking at NFTs and the utility in the airdrops and access to new merchandise, how did you learn all this stuff so quickly? Did you know about this stuff before? Or for people who have no clue still what you're talking about? How did you learn this area? It is complicated. It is difficult. And some people choose not to learn it because of the complexity of it.
1: There's a lot of technical complexity. But if you've played video games, then you know skins, you know how to upgrade your character's outfits, you understand weapon upgrades, you understand gamification and gaming mechanics, you understand... Accruing tokens that you can then use inside a gaming ecosystem. So you can start to already just understand the basics of what's happening when you're building a new internet that has a new tokenization, which has become a currency, but you can now just use it in real life. And it's living on a new internet that makes it interoperable all over the world. So, you know, if you can make that metaphorical leap, you can start to already grasp some of the fundamental foundations you need to understand. Then I have worked in fintech at PayPal and Venmo, where I helped support the strategy development for the launch of crypto inside the PayPal app. And that's where I started to really understand the safety net that is needed for this type of technology, that it's early days and regulation is absolutely going to come in and it's starting to come in. It's going to change the way it operates. And so the other thing I would just say is, It's not completely defined. If you understand some of the foundations, you can go deep and get into podcasts, you can get into Twitter, discords, I think there's even MIT programs right now, six-week programs to learn some of the fundamentals and basics. But they're all really... You just need to understand a bit about policy and regulation and gamification, tokenomics, you can pick these up also from other industries, from other personal experiences to start to understand a bit of what's going on. And I think people just need to help explain it that way. So I also try to recommend specific podcasts who simplify it. I don't want to say dumb it down, but it can make it easier to grasp some of the concepts. And then it's up to you how deep you want to go. But the one thing I would say is, Try to find someone who understands the space. And we're lucky enough that inside Adidas, there were a lot of individuals that were doing this as a passion project on the side, and they just didn't have the platform or the opportunity to raise their hand and jump in and work on a collaborative project. And so that's also what I would say is don't be afraid in your own organization to create a flat operating task force exactly like we did and go actually have the organization buy an NFT. Like, Just start to do some of these small steps. And you will learn that you will bump into things like what happens if you need Ethereum on the balance sheet? And what happens to tax and treasury when you do that? (laughs) And how do you report this in your earnings call? So these are questions we didn't forecast. We walked through them every step of the way. And I would say the best way to learn is by doing. And staying open, surrounding yourself with supportive, like-minded people. And
0: yeah, rolling up your own sleeves. I love it. Your career and your mindset and ethos reminds me of the improv philosophy of yes and. It's just one of those, yes and I'll do this project or yes and I'll join this firm or yes and I'll build this brand. And it's really incredible to see how positive and expansionary, your mind thinks. One last question before we pivot to the signature Game Changer podcast questions, but you've worked with all different types of brands in different roles, but ultimately to have one focus of connecting commerce to culture and ultimately revenue. Are there any commonalities across all those companies that you can identify and extract and share with our listeners of what it is to create a brand or to create this community that is engaged and engaging? But is there any commonalities that you have found? Oh, yeah. I mean, my career
1: started in the motorcycle industry. What is more dangerous (laughs) than riding a motorcycle, right? In the real world, maybe jumping out of a plane. I'm trying to think like the choice of jumping on a bike and passionately driving from California to Sturgis for the motorcycle rally is it difficult? It's dangerous. The only reason you do it is because you're so passionate and You are embodying your most free, your most elevated self when you do that act of jumping on the back of the bike. And I think working in motorsports is what had let me know that a brand, it really is just a collection of the experiences. And a brand is a collection of all the experiences, memories, collective memories that you've acquired along the way. And a brand, when it's its best, it needs to have emotion and it needs to be its own archetype and it needs to have depth just like an individual would. I got my best brand building experience at PlayStation when Guy Longworth and Maria Siriccio had come in and we had to work on establishing what was the dead last brand in the category at the time, which was PlayStation, unfortunately, because PlayStation 3 was just not connecting with a market. It was too expensive. The product was too clunky. No one understood why you needed a Blu-ray player if you wanted to play games. And we built the archetype for PlayStation. And once we understood that the brand, you need to think about what it is you want this archetype to be known for. What does it mean? And how does it behave? How does it act? What does it stand for? What's the monster it's fighting against? What's the enemy of this brand? And it's not another competitor. It needs to be a behavior and an emotion that is anti to what it is you want to stand for. Once you really get to that level of like brand archetype, that has helped me unlock and unleash why you exist, what it is you do. What you offer to the world, whether it's products, services, experiences, how that can translate to an employee brand, how that can become a business model in the marketplace for you, where you can go, where you shouldn't go, what doesn't make sense for you. And then if you can get that mentality, you can also play war games with your competitors. I can tell you right now, I know every move Nike's gonna do. I already know what they're gonna do, I already know how they're gonna approach Web3. I'm fearless. Because I know how we can do it. And I know what makes sense for us. And I know that also where culture's going. And I have a feeling I know where the consumer is going to want to vote. Now I just got to get it done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is quite a task. But I love the expression unlock and unleashed, which I feel like that should be your subtitle. Because that is so much of what you do personally and professionally. I have so many more questions about your professional career, but I will then save the listeners some time and pivot then to the signature game changer questions. Starting with, what do you find the most exciting about the Web3 space today and the NFT space?
1: I think the power shift is most exciting about what's happening with Web3. I find the shift to the collective, to the community, to the creators, the most exciting. I find the power shift, which means it's the distances between creators and people looking to discover ways to get deeper into interests, passions, causes, collapsing, so exciting. You can own something with your favorite creator. You can discover new creators. You can co-create with them. I mean, the opportunities haven't fully presented themselves. But that, I think, changed the power shift back to the collective is what culturally I also think is so important for this moment in time too.
0: And speaking of the time of right now, you had mentioned some work in the DE&I space, and I think that's so important always, but specifically now. And so one question I'd love to ask is in a field still dominated by men, what is unique to the landscape that you bring? How are you a game changer? Oh, thank you for asking this question.
1: I love business. And I don't think it's a fair playing field. And I am so stuck in the corporate structures made for the 1950s that have held back even the structures that feed into corporate structures, educational structures, financial structures, like they're all not working for us. And research has proven it. When you release and collapse those structures and make way for more representation and leadership that looks different. When you adopt future of work, new ways of working, you're more successful. (laughs) and You will make more money or you can also achieve greater unlocks and innovation for society, for culture. And what I am trying to do... I guess, in my career of being somewhat of a bit of an ability to be a maverick inside company structures is to change the wheel while I spin it. And that's part of the reason why it was important for me to establish a flat, collaborative task force to jump into Web3 to truly adopt the values, to not take no for an answer when I would hear it inside the company, to challenge a lot of the systematic ways of thinking. And we're doing that now. We're having conversations about remuneration, equity, and rewards, and location strategy for talent and future of work. And I'm honestly trying to take these on. The way to eat an elephant, I've been told, is one bite at a time. But I have really big ambitions to help unlock human potential. And I think that right now, capitalism and companies... I mean, it's our time. It's leaders and organizations, I find, it's going to be the next systems that can help crack open culture for positive, positive gains. And yeah, that's what helps me wake up early and stay up <laughs> late at night. It <laughs> keeps me going. And that, I hope, would be the one message. is like, don't be afraid to be the maverick asking the questions in the organization and pitching the pilots or the betas to
0: try something
1: different, try something new.
0: Love that. That's powerful and beautiful and inspiring. I wish if you were a stock, I wish I could buy you all day long, but instead I'll just buy a pair of Adidas. It's a similar proxy. Next question is What impact are you looking to leave, whether in your current company or just overall? But what does success mean for you?
1: Success takes different forms. I mean, I have a daughter now. I want to make sure I'm present for her. I want to make sure my time working isn't wasted. That it actually is making positive progress for people that I get to interact with, but people that I'm never going to meet that I know are having a hard time. And I think that even in business, and I know business is not a charity, but I think what I'm doing is an act of service. And I really believe that. I am in service of athletes, individuals, other Moms and dads just looking to put a pair of kicks on their shoes for back to school. And I want to make sure that the legacy I leave behind is that business can do good and be a positive force for change in the world. And that it doesn't have to always be a struggle to get the right thing done. So I guess my hope would be... And I loved that you said to me, I have a yes and mentality. It was great to hear that because I haven't been in a creative role where I'm doing the yes and for a while. That was a really big fundamental part of my time at Google when I was working in the creative fete. But I want to bring that to the boardrooms. I want to bring that to even bigger impacts and bring organizations together. Because again, I feel like we shouldn't just be competing with each other as companies. We should be competing against bigger problems in the world and using the products and services we bring to market to solve some of these bigger problems. How I do that, I have some ideas. So maybe you can invest in me one day (laughs) because that is what I think is my destiny. That is what I'm going to leave behind. And I'm not rushing into it because that time is not now. I'm still gathering some of these experiences so that I can jump. And when the time is right, I can help hold space to take this mindset I have that I know is shared and help bring people
0: along to the next big journey. Excellent. Well, your daughter is very lucky to have such a thoughtful and inspiring mom in you. And I'm looking forward to all the projects that your company does, but also you personally. One question I have in my other podcast that I just love to ask everybody is when you think about you and your role, you've had a seat at incredible rocket ships and you've also created a seat at the table, which is really amazing to see and hear. And what I love hearing your trajectory of your career is you realize the impact of capitalism and the power behind it and really using that and leveraging the brand. So I absolutely love that. In all the companies you've worked at and the brands you've really helped expand, can you share one of the most memorable failure moments and ultimately growth moments? And from that, I personally focus on that because we hear about all the amazing success stories, but oftentimes there's a lot more in the struggle and the adversity. So if you could share some of that for listeners who are like, oh my gosh, Erica's so amazing. What has she ever struggled or failed at? If you can share maybe the most transformative or powerful moment that included struggle, but ultimately had a lot of growth embedded in it.
1: Uber is coming to mind. One of the learnings when I picked up and had to help the brand dust itself off and reposition itself after Delete Uber, the first thing I did was jump into the Twitter data. Like, well, who's behind this hashtag? Who is the fuel of this fire? And a lot of it that we learned, it was fueled by the angry and upset and motivated women and non-binary individuals who were fired up around Me Too. And this felt like another thing Uber done across the line on immigration rights by making surge pricing jump up in New York City at a time where the algorithm was truly just established to create surge pricing when there's a lot of pickup and drop-off requests. And we made our entire approach to rebuild our relationship and the way we service women. And at the time, people of color is what we were putting on slides and in presentations. And this was probably one of the very first DEI marketing strategies. This is way before purpose departments kicked off. This is way before anybody was even having that conversation. I don't even know that we had a head of DEI hired yet. I think that individual came later. But we were living it before it was lived inside organizations. And now it's gospel. Everyone has a head of PEI. Everybody has a purpose strategy or a purpose department, or at least a pillar within your organization. If you're really smart, it's just everything you do now. It's like woven through how you design and craft products and strategies and hiring practices and so on. It's just now indoctrinated. But I really wanted the brand to take this idea and go much bigger and bolder in supporting, especially women, especially women who are double hatting as minority women, or women and individuals that have children, and help give them not just an opportunity to have a job by being a driver or courier, but even further supporting them by pivoting our marketing budget into programs that would give them more funding. So we had an idea that we built out called Uber Pitch. We did it with Sophia Marosa, Girl Boss. We created an open source for entrepreneurs to pitch us their business ideas. They were incredible. I was so inspired by the thinking and the creativity and the way people are able to, without a lot of resources, structure ideas. It blew my mind away. And then when we got to the Girl Boss Rally and showed up and executed this program and got to give away 5 gifts of seed funding to aspiring entrepreneurs, it was incredible. It was such a fun program and process. The one learning I had and the one learning I take from that too is it was still quite privileged. It was still girl boss. It still really had this veneer that was looked a certain way, had a certain shape. It didn't really represent the full beauty of what representation could look like. And I felt like we didn't take it far enough. Then I saw the reckoning that happened next, where a lot of the female founder brands went through this next round, which was saying, okay, you can't just be female founder brand and only protect white female interests. That was a wake-up call to me. And I think it was a wake-up call also to everybody because the reckoning went through that next wave. and We've seen that further go on. And it's taught all of us about representation and how important it is to consistently be learning and educating and listening and be a part of the solution and driving a systemic change, not staying still, not checking a box. I think that program, yeah, it was successful. It hit all the marketing KPIs, but in my own personal journey and what was best for the brand, I don't think we ever took it far enough.
0: Love it. Love it, love love it. I'm sad to ask this last question because I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. What's next for Erica Wixneed? So
1: I'm going to keep hustling on helping Adidas push the values of sustainability and representation, inclusion into the forefront of popular culture. We're going to keep doing that work. I'm also... This is a wake-up call this year where I need to do the work outside of just the halls of the organization to help widen the reach and the access to information and to understanding and to community and connection for others that want to be change agents and game changers in their seats, in corporate structures, or what I like to call them, entrepreneurs. So I guess I can say, I got to get the Twitter game going. I got to get the writing going. I'm very motivated. I'm grateful you invited me to the podcast because this is honestly a step in that journey. And if someone is hearing this and wants to reach out, maybe there is something we get started with a professional community group around Web3, and I can help galvanize that together and we can kick something off. But that I think is what's next. I really want to start that even now for now, like the next nine months, <laughs> I want to get that going.
0: Well, you've done a lot in the last year and a half, less than a year and a half. So I'm almost nervous to see how much more productive you are <laughs> in your your next year. Where can people find out more about Adidas's voyage into the metaverse and find out more about you and that project?
1: Yeah, I mean, I... Would tell you if you're interested in where we're going in web three, your first stop is adidas.com slash metaverse. We also have a discord channel called into the metaverse. We have moderators 24 seven in the space. We also have a Twitter handle, Adidas originals. We're most likely going to be launching a specific web three channel coming up soon. You can find me on Twitter at Hey Erica WS. Reach out to me there and I. Also, I'm using LinkedIn. Believe it or not, I've gotten off of Facebook. I've got off of Instagram. LinkedIn, I try to be really transparent and put a lot of info in there too for individuals that want to follow my unconventional career path, kind of see the things I have done and learn what the impact of that work has been as a way to give back to
0: up and coming marketers who are trying to cultivate their own career path. So I put it all out there. Love it. Erica, thank you for joining the show and thank you for being a game changer. Thanks for having me.